Welcome to another Griffith University podcast. Uh, welcome everybody. My name is Rashmi Arora and I am from the Department of Accounting, Finance and Economics. And I am a research fellow over there. And today my paper is on, uh, it examines the link between financial finance and human capital in uh, developing Asia. And we also look at the what is the Australian connection to it. There's a large uh, literature between, uh, you know, which examines the relationship between financial development and economic growth. And in this uh, literature, finance has been identified as a crucial factor of production for uh, long-run economic growth. And um, large number of studies are there which exist on finance growth uh, uh, relationship such as King and Levine and Levine 97, and there are a lot of other uh, studies as well. Uh, the role of finance has been identified as uh, to collect and analyze information. It, uh, the financial institutions, they channelize investable funds to the investment projects that yield highest return and thus stimulate investment. And uh, the relationship between finance and economic growth has been well established. And in fact, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the studies, uh, Levine, had, uh, he had said that uh, theoretical reasoning and empirical evidence is suggest a positive first-order relationship between financial development and economic growth. So, uh, when, although there is a large literature on finance and economic growth, and there's, uh, you know, a tremendous focus which is now uh, emerging, uh, focusing on financial inclusion. So, uh, what does financial inclusion mean? The financial inclusion has been, uh, you know, defined as broad access, which includes, you know, poorer households as well, and small and medium enterprises, People who were not included in the finance, financial, uh, you know, who were not accessing financial services earlier. So it, it, the concept actually aims to include everybody uh, in the who use uh, uh, financial services, and it implies absence of price and non-price barriers. And uh, the other definition, which has been defined by ADB, Asian Development Bank, is provision of a broad range of financial services such as deposits, loans, payment services, money transfers, and insurance services to poor and low-income households and micro-enterprises, that is the small and medium enterprises, like, that is the people who were not being you know, included in the financial uh, services earlier. So the aim is to include all groups of people and make it a comprehensive uh, you know, financial services which are flowing to everybody and does not exclude anybody except by choice. You know, you may, uh, the access to financial services may be there, but still you may not want to use it due to some reason. So it aims to include everybody who intends to use financial services. So a large literature is emerging on financial inclusion. But what uh, the major, you know, what I found in this literature is that it is mainly supply focused. It says that, 
you know, if you increase the supply of financial services, if you increase the number of institutions, the financial inclusion will increase automatically. That is what it presumes, that the, uh, it will happen on its own once the supply is there. So it's very supply-focused. And uh, the focus on demand-related factors, where that actually is there a demand for financial service? Is, are there any factors which are impeding the demand of people? So that is missing in this literature. So my study looks at this. So it says, so what, how does it matter? So it matters because uh, there is a large literature which is there, theoretical as well as empirical studies, which are there, which examine the uh, you know, relationship between financial uh, development and human capital. So this literature, you know, it emphasizes the role of human capital in economic development. And also there is a you know, strong relationship has been found between um, financial development and human capital as well. So which this literature says, uh, it's a theoretical literature, and this literature says that physical capital combined with poor human de development, it will lead to you know, low economic growth and poor development outcomes. So uh, high human development as well as the presence of physical capital, both are necessary for strong economic uh, growth. And <clears throat> so another study has said that uh, accumulation of physical capital, it takes place in the early stages and human capital accumulation follows. So, you know, they're just doing the stages. There's uh, some empirical literature also which examines the uh, you know, relationship between finance and human capital. And these studies have uh, used different methodologies. Some have used the survey method and some have used the experimental approach, uh, such as Cole and others, they've used the experimental approach to examine whether the financial services, uh, you know, access to financial services, does it increase if uh, the human capital is present, if supposed financial literacy is provided, and they've also examined whether uh, they've done two sorts of experiments. The one is financial literacy and, uh, uh, you know, uh, the financial access to financial services. And the other one is they've used subsidies. You know, if they, in case if they give, provide subsidies to the people, does the number of bank account uh, increases, you know, if, if you provide subsidies, you know, to the people. So they found that, uh, yeah, that subsidies did have an impact and the number of bank accounts which were opened using that, you know, that, that amount which was given by the, uh, this, this particular experiment. So the number of bank accounts uh, increased, but they found that the financial literacy as such, it didn't have much of an impact. But they also found that initial human capital, you know, the human capital which was already there, that did lead to an increase in the, and sustaining the, you know, the number of bank uh, accounts. So the bank accounts didn't close once the, you know, once they were opened, you know, using that subsidies. So it kept on. Because they, uh, they did the another experiment after two years again. The other studies also have found, is, uh, such as Sagers and others, they have used the survey data 
and they uh, examined whether the, the startup firms, you know, uh, the entrepreneurs, whether uh, access to financial services is more because, uh, you know, people who are who have done some business education, whereas people who have provided some sort of financial literacy. So um, they found that people who had higher education, they had, uh, you know, they access to financial services and even they were more aware of the financial alternatives than the people who were just there with the generic, you know, some basic education. So they found difference between higher education and the basic education. So there is a difference in access to financial services if, you know, with people with basic education, people with no education, and people with uh, higher education. So other studies have also used uh, Evans and others have also, Evans has actually used a translog production function and they've examined the relationship between financial development and uh, economic uh, and human capital and they've related it to economic growth. Now the Australian connection comes in when uh, Australia is actually deeply, uh, you know, through AusAid is actually giving uh, lots of aid to, uh, they call their countries as partner countries. So these are the countries uh, where Australia is actually involved in providing uh, aid to these countries. And one of the objectives of aid, which it, they presume that it leads to economic growth, is to support the financial services, to increase the access of financial services to the poor. And the other Australian connection is that in Australia itself, certain groups and certain people, they are excluded from financial services. So uh, the objective is to increase access to financial services in Australia itself. So the Australian connection is at two levels, which I found. One is that, that within Australia, you know, access to financial services to indigenous groups or to elderly, you know, poor households who have not been accessing financial services. And one is that connection. The other connection is through, uh, you know, AusAid provides aid to the uh, certain countries, less developed countries, certain developing countries, actually, in Asia. Uh, so uh, one of the aims is to increase access to uh, financial services. And Australia is also an active member of uh, G20 Financial Inclusion Experts Group. And uh, Mr. Paul Flanagan, he's, the, he's from the Australian Treasury, and he's the co-chair of G20 Financial Inclusion Experts Group. And they have come out with uh, certain principles of financial inclusion. So Australia's interest in the Financial Inclusion Experts Group and, uh, and is also in access through innovation subgroup. There are two subgroups, which reflects its in interest in ensuring that uh, G20 provides practical leadership on development-related issues. So it believes that access to financial services uh, leads to, you know, higher superior economic growth outcomes. So the, you know, the interest in financial services goes from there. And it, uh, there are a number of projects Australia is involved in, in the, these developing countries. And um, it supports ANZ project on, in Cambodia, in uh, Papua New Guinea, and in Pacific.
So as I said, through AusAid, uh, you know, uh, they are uh, deeply involved in providing, in improving the access to financial services to the developing countries. And they have recently, in 2010, they've come out with a document called uh, Financial Services for the Poor, a strategy for Australian aid program. And it is a, for a five-year period, and it gives all the, it outlines the, you know, outcomes, the, what are the objectives, and uh, some of the Australian initiatives are in, uh, you know, Pacific, for, for instance, microfinance Pacifica, in Papua, Papua New Guinea, uh, they've got uh, microfinance and employment project. In Vietnam, there is another project, and Afghanistan also it is involved in. In Bangladesh, it is involved, supporting the, one of the largest NGO, which provides microfinance. So uh, these are the outcomes which are being pursued in Australia's strategy. And the outcome one is improving policy and regulatory environment. Outcome two relates to uh, developing financial services providers and it improving financial <laughs> infrastructure. Outcome three, it, uh, you know, it says that uh, it out aims for uh, finding out innovative models of financial services so that they can reach underserved people and as well as regions. The outcome four leads to increased capacity of clients to understand and utilize financial services. So this is basically something like financial literacy. So the motives and objectives of my study are to, you know, it was motivated by after I saw this Australia's connection. So I was interested in examining uh, the relationship between financial development and human capital. So one motive was Australia's strong interest in promoting financial inclusion within the country as well as for the developing countries. And I also found that there was an absence of financial inclusion in the literature of a demand perspective. It is basically focused on the supply. Uh, you know, it's not that they are not aware that financial literacy, or which is the basic one, or the human capital should be promoted, but you know they are being promoted as separate stra strategies. But here one needs to have a wholesome, you know, holistic approach. So in this study, I'm examining the relationship between financial uh, development and human capital. I actually focused on developing Asia initially. And uh, developing Asia is defined as IMF coverage in their world economic outlook, how they have defined certain countries as developing Asia. So I took the countries from there. But uh, I found, uh, uh, you know, that uh, I... Actually, I was not getting good results because of lack of data for the uh, developing Asia as such. So, because many small countries are also included here and data was not there, so I expanded my uh, group of countries to include uh, a group of 46 countries, which includes developing as well as the developed countries. So, it's a mixed sort of group, but it examines, it gives me a better, uh, you know, as far as statistical uh, you know, analysis is concerned, and also to examine analytically also, uh, I get a different groups of countries, you know, developed as well as developing. So as far as developing Asia is concerned, these are the partner countries of Australia. 
Now, partner, I said, you know, partner is because they define it, partner countries, because AUSAID defines the countries whom they are providing aid as uh, or supporting development as partner countries. Okay, so, but this study, this study actually I examine only the associational relationship between uh, finance and human capital. So it sees whether the relationship is there. It does not examine the causality, whether, uh, you know, financial development is leading to human capital or human capital is leading to financial development, because that sort of thing, I think, it is pretty difficult to establish what led what to first. So. But it has been found that the countries with uh, initial human capital, uh, they do have higher financial development. So the method which I am using in this study is the ordinary least method, uh, least square method, and it's a simple regression which I am carrying out actually in this uh, uh, study because the objective was just to preliminary study because it's a work in progress. So uh, just wanted to examine is there any relationship between financial development and human capital. So I took the indicator for financial development as uh, M2 GDP ratio, that is the, you know, uh, money supply, you know, um, M2 uh, divided by, uh, you know, GDP, gro uh, gross domestic product, as one indicator, for, as an indicator of financial development. So this indicator I used it for when I examined the relationship between, for developing Asia. The other indicator which I also used was the physical access to banks because the data availability actually was much better when I, t uh, you know, when I took uh, uh, the developed as well as uh, developing countries. So I took the physical access to banks. So by physical access I mean, um, you know, the number of, uh, the number of banks per 100,000 population, number of bank branches per 100,000 population, plus the number of ATMs. I also took ATM also because uh, they are considered equivalent to uh, a bank branch in the finance literature. So I took uh, the, you know, the number of bank branches per 100,000 people, and I also took uh, the number of ATMs, 100,000 population, uh, 100,000 adults, actually. So this is my indicator of financial development. And uh, for education, for human capital variable, I took the mean years of schooling. As I said earlier, there's a lot of data which is missing for the developing Asia because it includes, you know, the Pacific countries and they are all small, small, you know, island, you know, those countries. So data is not actually much available for, for all the variables. So I took, uh, so there's a missing data for developing Asia. And as I said earlier, indicators, financial indicators is M2 GDP. Financial access indicator is number of commercial bank branches per 100,000 adults, number of ATNs per 100,000 adults, and education years is, uh, education indicator is mean years of schooling, which I take as uh, adults age 25 years and above. And the data sources were, I took actually the educational data from uh, UNDP, yeah, human development, uh, you know, there's a lot of data available over there. 
with UNDP actually uses the Veroli Education Database, so which is available on the you know available on the website. So you can just get it easily. And um, for financial access, uh, uh, that is the number of bank branches uh, and the number of ATMs. I took the data from IMF. Uh, IMF has got. World Bank has also got, but I took the, actually the data from IMF because I got a really good data from there easily also. So the website is this for uh, financial access, and uh, you can build your own series over there, so it was very pretty easy actually. Uh, and it's based on the survey data, so it's not really very comprehensive because all may not be reporting, but it's a... Um, it's a pretty good, uh, you know, database for start uh, because uh, the number of uh, bank branches per 100,000 population, it's difficult to get this data from other sources, uh, from the published, uh, you know, sources. So uh, the survey data provides this information. And for, uh, uh, for M2 GDP, I took the data from a World Bank online database because all the countries are expected to report this data to the World Bank, so uh, standardized data format, so I took the data from there. This uh, scatter graph, it shows the relationship between per capita income and financial development. By financial development, actually I mean M2 GDP ratio here, and this is only for developing Asia, so you can see that, uh, you know, even the per capita incomes is also not much high over here, and most of them are, folk, uh, you know, con uh, concentrated within uh, 4,000. So you can see the, uh, you know, M2 financial development is lower with low per capita incomes, and as the financial development, as the per capita income increases, which you can see from the that side, as the financial uh, per capita income increases, the financial development has also increased. <coughs> the, it's higher. So, as I said earlier, the method was used was OLS. For developing Asia, it was really hard to find the data, so I had to, it was a very limited data, and the number of observations were actually very less, so I decided to do at the second stage as well. So I took the sample of uh, 46 countries, so, which gives me a pretty good picture of developed as well as developing countries. Uh, the results showed that, uh, you know, uh, be between financial development and mean years of schooling, I found the results were really poor and they were not uh, significant. There was not much strong relationship. Actually, the results were pretty low. You know, you can't say also that they were related at all because the... R, R is pretty less. So um, it may be that, uh, you know, I think that there may be this M2 GDP, instead of taking the M2 GDP, if I take some uh, other indicator, I, then maybe I get some, you know, higher correlations. But with this particular indicator, I didn't get uh, uh, much data, uh, much uh, relationship between uh, the two variables. And uh, the sample countries were low, as some countries had to be dropped. So that could be one of the reasons the number of observations was low. 
But when I do the, you know, carry out the regression results for developed as well as developing countries, 46 countries, which is a pretty good, you know, number of observations and it, it gives me a really good picture between uh, the indicator is uh, the physical access to uh, banks, so physical access to, you know, uh, financial access. So here I get uh, our, our correlation is very strong, 0.72, and it is significant, and the coefficient is also high. So uh, I also carried out, you know, separate correlation, and uh, I found a strong relationship between uh, physical access to banks and mean years of schooling. Now, I also plotted the same uh, uh, physical access to banks and whether to see, you know, you know, in the show, in the scatter graph also, what is the relationship between the two. And I found that, again, that the physical access to banks uh, and mean years of schooling is higher as the physical access to banks increases. So as you can see from the, from the right side, uh, you know, as the uh, number of bank branches and ATMs increases, uh, for instance, in Australia and in uh, uh, Australia, Singapore, I think, and uh, some other countries are there which, are, which have a very high physical access to banks. I think, I, sorry, I'm, I haven't provided a table. I think a table would have been a really good uh, idea, but I didn't give the table here. But, yeah, so Australia is one of the countries which is there on the, absolutely on the right-hand side. And um, so I found that, uh, you know, the developed countries, obviously, you can see that they are on the right side and developing countries on the, you know, left side. So the physical access to banks is uh, lower. With the mean years of schooling is also lower. You can see that they are all clustered over there. So uh, as the physical access to bank increases, there is an associational relationship between mean years of schooling, higher, and physical access to banks. But I cannot establish from here what leads to what, the causality between the two. So uh, the, this is a work in progress, actually. So this is just the basic one. Earlier, actually, I had done, and I presented in a separate conference, uh, you know, where I have done for India only, and I have examined um, at the sub-national level for India as well as for the national level for India. Here, in this particular, uh, you know, study, I found that, uh, as I said, that the relationship between human development and uh, financial development not found significant and strong for developing Asia. Could be statistical reasons, could be, you know, the indicate choice of indicator as well. Uh, I wanted to, I was looking for M3 GDP ratio data, but I couldn't get the M3 GDP ratio for all the countries, so I had to drop that indicator. And uh, as far as uh, the, if I broaden the sample and if I change the indicator of financial access, I get a very strong relationship between financial development and human capital. And uh, countries, as I said, countries with higher mean years of schooling also had higher financial access. Um, as I said earlier, interestingly, I did another study on the same, uh, examining the same relationship uh, using India as an example, just full, solely focused on India. 
and I did it at the two you know stages, one at the national level and one at the sub-national level. At the national level, actually, I didn't find using M3 GDP ratio as for financial development indicator. I didn't find a strong relationship between financial development and human capital. Uh, sorry, I found a strong relationship between financial development and human capital if I take the national level. But if I go to the sub-national level, when I use the data for 28 states of India, and I used, um, you know, at the sub-national level, and I didn't find uh, any, uh, you know, a very weak, actually, relationship between financial development and uh, human capital. So for financial development, I took the indicator as regional M3 GDP ratio. I apportioned, you know, uh, the national M3 GDP ratio to different states based on their financial output. And I got the regional M3 GDP ratio. So uh, at the sub-national level, I found a very weak relationship between uh, financial development and human capital. So I changed the indicator. I took infrastructure instead of seeing Instead of seeing financial development, I took infrastructure as the indicator, and I saw that there was a strong relationship between infrastructure and um, human capital, but uh, you know a very poor relationship between financial development and uh, human capital. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Rashmi. Thank you. For more Griffith University podcasts, go to www.griffith.edu.au forward slash podcasts.